welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and foster care. Hey, listen up. Friends don't let friends wander around in the dark in search of good information. So be a good friend and recommend this podcast to anyone you know who is interested in either adopting or fostering. And thanks. Today, we're going to be talking about adopting from foster care with Kim Fagan Hansel. She is the managing editor of the Chronicles of Social Change and the editor of Fostering Families Today. She is also the editor of two terrific books, The Fostering Parenting Toolbook and The Kinship Parenting Toolbook. Welcome to Creating a Family, and thanks so much, Kim, for being with us today to talk about adopting from foster care. It's such an important topic. Thanks so much for having me on today. You know, I think if I could say there's one basic misunderstanding that a lot of people come into a foster care adoption with is the different ways to go about adopting from foster care and the whole idea of fostering to adopt versus adopting a legally free child. So let's start with that confusion to begin with. So what are the different ways that someone who is interested in adopting a child from foster care? What are the different ways they would go about doing that? For sure. So there's really two different ways. One is that the parental rights of a child may have been terminated. So they're legally free for adoption. They've already gone through all the court process and they are deemed to be available for adoption. Now, there's children whose parental rights have been terminated in every single state. A lot of them, you can find that information. You can find kids on the Adopt Us Kids website. Most states have a heart gallery that you can look at to see different profiles. A lot of those kids work with the Wendy's Wonderful Kids program, and there's recruiters that actively seek potential families to adopt those kids. So as of 2017, which is the most recent federal data available, there are about 123,000 children currently waiting to be adopted. So that's the first path to adoption. The second would be if someone decided to become a licensed foster parent, and under that you can choose to be a licensed foster to adopt parent, meaning that you're open to adoption should the child become available. Now, the one thing that I would say about that is that when you become a foster parent, really you're you're saying that you're coming on board to be supportive of that child reunifying with their biological family. That's the number one goal for fostering. So it's not like you're going to get a baby and then, you know, two weeks later, you're going to be able to adopt them. There'll be court cases, there'll be visitation and mentoring, things like that. And it's really important that foster parents are 100% behind that when they get started. And then, unfortunately, as time goes on, you know, it becomes sometimes evident that parents can't get themselves to a healthy place, even with a lot of supports and help. And then the courts will move towards uh, termination of parental rights. And at that point in time, they'll start looking at potential adoptive parents. And typically the first they would look to would be the foster parents. Right. And if you look nationally, about 25% of the children who enter foster care will ultimately be adopted outside their family. And the vast majority of those cases when they're adopted outside of their family will be through their foster parents. And that fits with pretty much what we see. 
about a quarter of the kids will end up being adopted if they're being in the foster care system. But it is important to realize that your role as a foster parent and the expectations of you as a foster parent are to try to help with family reunification. So if your primary goal is simply to adopt and you really don't want that that, uh, responsibility or the expectation that you're going to be working for reunification, then it would be better to consider a child whose parental rights have already been legally terminated. So in fact, it's interesting. I have noticed that there is a strong movement away from the term foster to adopt. I think in recognition of the importance for reunification or the emphasis on reunification. So you may not even see that term being used anymore. I'm seeing it used less and less. I don't know. Are you are you as well in what you're doing? Yeah, for sure. I, I just definitely feel like there's a, a movement towards recognizing that the best outcomes for kids is for them to stay in their home origin and if we can supply those families the supports and things that they need, then that actually yields better outcomes than having a child enter foster care and bounce through multiple families, potentially age out of foster care and, you know, have some really negative outcomes long term. So that's a real, real push there right now, especially with the Family First Prevention Services Act, that we're going to, you know, be as supportive of those families of origin as we possibly can. What are some of the differences between being a foster parent and being an adoptive parent, adopting through foster care? We've mentioned one, and that is the expectation of reunification. But if you are adopting, are there some other differences between adopting and fostering in foster care? Sure. So, I mean, I think as far as the kids go, the kids require the same kind of care, you know, some supportive adult in their corner, someone who's going to help address their trauma that maybe they've experienced. Those kind of things are pretty consistent. They just need love and care. But there's definitely some specific regulations that foster parents must follow if the kids are in state custody, things that foster parents need to be made aware of. If an adoption has been finalized, then the child becomes legally yours. And so, you know, a lot of those rules and regulations no longer exist. It would just be as if you're parenting a biological child. However, there needs to be some recognition that children who have experienced early loss, use and neglect may need specialized parenting skills. And always foster and adoptive parents should be open to discussions about foster care and adoption in an age-appropriate manner so that we're meeting the needs of the kids wherever they may be. Okay. Who can adopt from foster care? Yes. So pretty much anybody can adopt. The most important thing is, is that they would have to get a home study and meet those licensing requirements for the home study for fostering or adopting. So those are a couple of different licensing standards for home studies. And so they would need to have that done. The things that, you know, may are red flags. We, you know, obviously want kids to be in the best homes possible. Healthy families would be, you know, criminal backgrounds. Those kind of things could interfere with your ability to adopt. And so, and then if there's some other issues or traumas, things that you've dealt with in your past, that's something that you're social workers going to visit with you a lot about and make sure that you are ready and prepared to deal with things that may come into play when you take in a child. So any, let's go back to any form of involvement, any criminal involvement, misdemeanor, felony, for any reason would disqualify you. 
or does it depend upon what it is that your background shows? It really depends on, you know, what it is and what those level of criminal activities are. But it's definitely something that you want to be open and honest about when you meet with your home study social worker and have conversations about those things. A background check will be run. Yes. So you need to know that up front and uh, you need to be honest. And it does depend usually on what the involvement with law enforcement was. You mentioned uh, the home study requirements. What is involved? And then, then I want to ask you about the education requirements as well. What's involved with a home study? Yeah, so a social worker is going to come meet with you a couple of times, visit with you. The name home study actually comes because that's what we used to do was study the home when you know they came to, to do that. Now they're going to more or less study you. They want to make sure that you are a healthy family, that you're going to be prepared for anything that the kids may present to you. And so they're going to talk to you a little bit, a lot about that. But there are certain standards still. I mean, if you have, need a smoke detector or those kind of things are still important. But you know, that's become kind of a challenge, especially for like kinship families uh, taking in kids. Some of those can be real barriers to children being placed in their homes. And so a lot of agencies work really closely with those families to help them get over some of those barriers. And if they are missing a smoke detector, have programs that help them get those things into place for those kids. And each state has specific requirements that they're looking for, size of a bedroom. Oh, there's, it's any number of things, but all that information you will be told about up front so that you can, you will know whether or not that's going to be a problem before you get into it. Let's talk about some of the education requirements for adopting from foster care. So that varies from state to state. And kind of along with the home study, there under Family First Prevention Services Act, there's um, they're supposed to establish a national standard for licensure so that those will be more consistent. I know in progress right now, there is a proposed bill called the National Adoption and Foster Care Home Study Act, which would amend the Child Abuse Prevention Act, which CAPTA. And so those things are kind of in process right now. So there may be some changes on the horizon that we want to think about. But as far as the education for the licensure, it depends on which state you're in. And some states do different uh, pre-service training. Some do pride. Some have their own. There's development of some new ones underway. So there's a variety of different training that those families will go through they are licensed. And then once they're licensed, each state, sometimes each county can have their own requirements as to what it takes to maintain those. So that'll be a certain hour requirement of continuing education. Yeah, generally speaking, MAP and PRIDE, although there are a number of each state can have a different one and there's some new ones coming down the pike. Again, your agency will tell you what it is that they're going to require. And what you will know in advance, you will be told, and it's usually, and again, the hours, but don't be surprised if it's anywhere in the range of 30 to 35 hours. That can be a a typical one that might differ by state. And they usually work, uh, they have specific times where they're providing this education. It's provided for you. And if you've got problems with work, getting off of work, meeting, let them know up front and they may be able to work with you on that. Um, Can singles adopt or do you have to be married? 
Uh, if you're single, you can adopt. State agencies are not allowed to discriminate against prospective foster and adoptive families based on religion, sexual orientation, or marital status. Uh, however, there are private agencies that may have some added requirements that can include some of these things. There's several pending lawsuits and policies being introduced that address the discrimination of individuals waiting to adopt. And this may be an ongoing issue and concern going forward as well. There are. And the distinction there is between public agencies and private agencies. We're going to talk about that a little bit more of that in a minute. But if you run into problems with the private agency, you can always look at your public agency, which is your county. I mean, your county foster agency can be called, you know, Department of Social Services, Department of Children and Families. It's, it goes by different names by different states. All right. Do you have to own your own home in order to adopt from foster care? No, you don't. Um, you just need to be able to provide that child a safe, secure home. There may be a requirement as to the size of the bedroom or if the children can share a bedroom that, again, you can ask the, the social worker at whatever agency you're working with. So how closely are your family finances scrutinized and how much money do you have to make in order to adopt from foster care? You know, those are things that they will talk to you about when you are going through that process. I mean, you just really need to be able to show that you can maintain your family currently, that you're going to be able to care for an added child into your home. A lot of times people who are adopting from foster care are not your high-end middle-class wealthy people. They're pretty much average citizens with average incomes and jobs. You just have to make sure that you have the ability to care for those children. So how much does it usually cost to adopt from foster care? So typically there's no cost. If you're doing especially like foster to adopt, there's no cost in there. There may be some travel costs if you're traveling farther to meet with a child and determine if it's going to be a good fit. There could be home study expenses if you're going straight to adoption rather than foster care. Typically, your home study is covered if you license with your foster care agency and you do provide foster care services for that agency. And there could be, if, as you mentioned, there could be travel costs and things such as that. However, keeping in mind that there is the adoption tax credit and the adoption tax credit is available for families adopting from foster care, regardless of the, uh, you get the full credit regardless if you have those expenses. Anything else that you'd want to say about the adoption tax credit? So at one point in time, that was refundable. So it was really great for families who didn't have a lot of expenses to be able to take advantage of that. I know there's a working group that's been uh, working really hard the last few year years to try to get that refundable again, recognizing how important that is for families who may need that caring for a child with some issues related to their early childhood trauma. But as of right now, it's not refundable. We alluded to earlier that you can use, in most states, you can use a private agency or the state agency. Now, that does depend by state, but most states allow you to use, they have contracts with private agencies that so saying that those agencies can place children for adoption from foster care. So in your opinion, what's the difference between using a state agency or using a private agency? 
Yes. So it really depends on the agency. So like we talked about before, public agencies aren't allowed to discriminate, but a private agency could be faith-based and have some regulations about your faith when you participate there. Some people really like a private agency, like how it feels more like a family in some ways. So I definitely have heard a lot of good things about some private agencies. But, you know, I think it's important to find the right right fit for you when you are and consider checking out multiple ones. Check out the county, check out some private agencies if you have that option in your area. And some of that we uh, provide a list of questions for families. We have a um, uh, Creating a Family has an e-guide for how to choose an adoption agency or an adoption attorney. And in, there's a section in there on how to choose a foster care agency. And you should look at a variety of things, including uh, post-adoption support and services that agencies may provide. So when you're comparing, you're comparing apples to apples, not apples to oranges, when you're comparing to the private and uh, the public agencies. And there are differences between the two. Like you say, it could just be a, sometimes it's a feel, but sometimes some people feel like they get better, for lack of a better word, customer service with private agencies. But I don't know that you can say that across the board. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of hard to because there are a lot of different personalities of agencies, both private and public. Well, and there's also a lot of your private agencies, some of them can be treatment foster care, and they just specialize in kids who have high needs and really train foster families who feel like they can meet those children's needs. And so that's different than going through your county for licensing, doing a treatment foster home. Yeah, that makes sense. And as you point out, there are they also go by uh, the name of therapeutic foster homes, and they have more training, and they usually get children with higher needs, uh, higher special needs. So what type of kids are available for adoption from foster care? So really, it's kids of all ages. A lot of times, the median age for kids is, let's see, in 2017, it was about six to seven. So, you know, kids of all ages are available and free for adoption right now. But I think there needs to be a recognition. I think sometimes people think that they will get an infant. And I think that's rare. They get an infant to foster for a while. But like we said before, with the, you know, reunification efforts should be number one. And those infants a lot of times will go home to their family. So I think that's something that you need to be really aware of is that your odds of probably adopting an infant are, are probably pretty small. Um, boys and girls both available or more boys, more girls? Typically, they say that there are more boys. I don't know that I have those stats, though, readily available. It's about 50-50. I do the AFCAR. I mean, just roughly speaking, it's pretty much evenly split between boys and girls. Yeah. You know, maybe one year might be slightly different, but for the most part. What about the racial background of children available? Yeah, so that is pretty broad as well. There's children of all races that are waiting for families too. Mm-hmm. And there are often a lot of sibling groups that are always in need, and sibling groups are harder to place because you have to find a family that has the ability, has the room to adopt more than one. So there's usually a greater need for sibling groups. 
And a lot of times those kids, like the Wendy's Wonderful Kids program is trying to ramp up across the country. So I think they have a presence in every state right now, but they really specialize in helping find those families for sibling groups and kids with special needs, teens, some of those things. That's really their specialty area. Right. And there was, I should have mentioned at the beginning, you mentioned Adopt Us Kids or Adopt US Kids dot org heart gallery i think most states now have a heart gallery so just type in your state name foster adoption and heart gallery and you will get the website at your for your state and the wendy's wonderful kids program which as you mentioned is expanding and the process of expanding to all 50 states can you adopt a child from foster care across state lines you can however it is challenging the Interstate compact between states has to be in place, and it is definitely difficult. It's one of the things that they're trying to work on through some legislation and try to address some of those things that make it such a difficult, challenging process at times. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that because I always say, in theory, yes, in practice, it's hard. And I think we need to tell families that because the assumption is we tell people there's over 100,000 children waiting for adoption, which is true. And, and that gives that leaves the image that we can look anywhere and find a child. And that's also true. But the reality is it's more expensive for states to place a child outside of their state because it involves travel for their social workers in order to keep up, you know, be able to check in on the children. They have to also, from the home study standpoint, it's more involved. So it's just more complicated. So from the state standpoint, if they can find a family closer to home, that would be their preference. You could also make the argument from a child's standpoint, particularly if the child has siblings or extended family member, where it's important for that child to have to maintain contact. Maintaining that contact is harder if, if you you know you add distance. So. For all of those reasons, it is harder to adopt across state lines, but not impossible. I think that's one of the reasons why they're um, looking at this closely, along with the reunification efforts, is a recognition that kin is super important. And so whenever possible, being able to place children with their family is critical. And with the ICPC, that can be challenging to place a child across state lines. So that's part of the reason for the national home study standards and those going into place so that that home study can be used across state lines and you don't have to get a new one in a new state, those kinds of things. Yeah. So there is work being done on this and we're not trying to discourage you, but we are saying go in with your eyes wide open and and uh, with the, the knowing that it's going to, if this is your choice, it's going to probably be a more difficult path. Just wanted to remind everybody that this show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Jockey Bing Family. They are calling out to all adoption agencies. They want you to know that they provide for adoption agencies continued support for their families after adoption. And they do so with their Jockey Bing Family Backpack Program. It provides newly adopted children with their own backpacks, personalized with their initials and filled with an adorable little stuffed bear and a blanket, as well as a tote bag with parenting resources for their parents. 
and that you need your agency has to apply. So if you're listening and you're an agency, go to the website, jockeybeingfamily.com, click on backpack and you can apply. It's super easy and it is free. If you are a parent and you want your agency to be a partner with Jockey Being Family and their backpack program, let them know. Let your agency know that they need to. It's simple. It's really easy to do. So let them know all about the Jockey Being Family backpack program. All right. So we've talked about adopting across state lines. Earlier, you mentioned the word special needs. What do you mean by that? I mean, that's that's kind of like adoption talk or, you know, in, in law, we call it legalese. This is called adoption ease or foster ease. What do we mean when we say special needs? Right. So that can mean a lot of things. Um, and for kids in foster care, there needs to be a recognition of the challenges that they faced that led to them being removed from their home in the first place. So whatever that may be can cause trauma in a child. Um, if they've been abused or neglected, if they've witnessed violence, if they've had parents who suffer with addiction problems and have made poor choices, you know, there's a lot of things that come along with those traumas that uh, people need to be aware of. Now, there's also other special needs and sometimes caused by that trauma diagnoses of post-traumatic stress disorder. Sometimes kids in foster care can be more at risk for things like ADHD, ADHD. And then I definitely want to hit on um, fetal alcohol syndrome. If children have been exposed to alcohol in utero, they may have some level of fetal alcohol syndrome. And a lot of times those aren't necessarily diagnosed until a child is in school, and we start seeing them really struggle in school, have some learning disabilities around that. And so that's definitely a hidden disorder that needs to be brought to more awareness for people who are considering fostering and adopting from foster care. So, but then, you know, some kids can have diabetes, some kids can be autistic. Like we said, you know, there's all ages, all sexes, in foster care. So just like the general population, there can be all kids who need families. And the only thing I would add would be to include uh, drug exposure, prenatal drug exposure as well, in addition to prenatal alcohol, because we are certainly seeing more drug exposure now than we have in like the last 10 years. So yeah, it's a term that means that the child has needs that make parenting potentially harder including the, the trauma of having been removed from their families, depending, of course, on the age of the child and the reason for uh, removal. Many children have experienced neglect, and neglect leaves its own scars. We tend to downplay neglect. We think, oh, it's just neglect, but yet neglect can definitely leave its own scars against uh, for children. And then, of course, some children have been physically abused or sexually abused as well. All of these things that we've just said falls under the the general rubric of special needs. And some states include sibling groups as a, the fact that you are trying to be placed with your siblings. It's not really a special need per se, but it does complicate. It limits the number of families who are able to adopt. So that is something to consider as well. So we've talked about the parents financing, you know, finances and, and, and having to make enough money to be able to support their family and be able to add a child to the family. Are there adoption subsidies? Is there, I know that uh, families who are fostering, of course, have a foster subsidy 
what happens if you're fostering and you have a foster subsidy and you go to adopt? Do you have a, is there an adoption subsidy that is available? Yes, there is. So um, according to federal guidelines, subsidies should be available for any child older than two. Some states may have their own set of subsidy regulations, but that's the standard federally. A really great source for information just on obtaining subsidies is the North American Council on Adoptable Children, or NACAC. They do a lot of work just on this and helping families know what is their legal right and helping them advocate for getting a subsidy. Yeah, and we have a course that we've done with uh, NACAC, North American Council on Adoptable Children, on subsidies as well. So you can look for that course and they can, you can talk to them and, and understand or talk to NACAC itself. So what should parents, prospective parents, think about when considering what age child that they would best be able to parent? So, you know, I think people need to decide what age they like. Some people want to skip diaper stage entirely and that's okay. And some people just really like teenagers. And so trying to decide those things is important. And then being realistic about what you think you can handle. You know, if you're going straight to adoption, then there's a file for a child that will tell you kind of what some of their areas are. And if there are some things that you just don't think that you'd be able to handle, then you should say that from the get-go, that that's just not something to do. I think families should consider what their support team looks like before they take on a new child or multiple children. And then the commitment is huge. Like knowing that if you're going to move forward with an adoption, that you are in it for life, really. We know that separating siblings is typically a very negative thing for children. So if you're going to take in siblings, are you going to commit to all of them? And not that if one gets hard, then you're going to make sure that they find a different home, but that you're going to commit for the long haul for these kids. Yeah. And so what are some of the things you're right? There are advantages and disadvantages to every adopt every age that you can consider adopting. What are some of the things you should consider before adopting a sibling group? I think that really goes back to what your support team looks like. You know, do you have people who can come in and give you a hand if you need to divide and conquer with kids? You know, I have two kids and sometimes I need to clone myself. And I only, (laughs) how's that working out that cloning yourself? (laughs) Not, not so well. So, I mean, those are some things that you need to think about. There's times where you have to be the same place at the same time. And then you have a kid who may have some really unique needs that you need to be available for. Do you have someone you can count on to help you fill the gap when needed? Yeah, and there is, especially for people who are going from zero kids to, or maybe one child and are adopting two or three, that's a big change. That's a big adjustment, which is not to say you shouldn't do it. It's to say that you need to lower your expectations of what you're going to be able to do for the next year and get more help around, just like you say, your support system. Go into it knowing that you're going to need more help and more support. And it won't be forever, but you need to just, you're making a huge life change. So go into it with your eyes open, get some support. And I always say, lower your expectations because (laughs) you're going to, it's going to be harder and you're not going to get nearly as much done as you think you're going to get, particularly as everybody is adjusting 
and settling in. For sure. I kind of like to tell people to get small after you adopt, you know, especially in those early days. Such good advice. Yes. Be home, be with your people and just build that connection. Start some new traditions with them, cook together. It does not have to be running to the library for story time, you know, trying to keep up with everything that you did before you adopted. It can just be just keep it tight and keep it close for a while and just adjust to the new lay of the land. The new normal. Yeah. Lower your expectations of what, uh, of gourmet meals, even not gourmet meals, (laughs) lower your expectations. Scrambled eggs, uh, you know, counts as dinner and approach it that way and lay low, stay close to home and get as much support as you can. You know, I always think it's interesting when, when people have an infant, Everyone rushes to provide meals, which is wonderful and it's good. I'm glad they do that. But, you know, if you adopt an older child, people make the assumption, oh, well, you don't need anything. And I think, gosh, you need it even more than if you have adopted an infant. And if you adopt siblings, yeah, when take anybody up that who will offer, say, yeah, I would love to have meals brought. And before the adoption, stock your freezer with as much stuff as you can, as much meals as you can prepare ahead of time so that afterwards you don't have that. uh, You know, some of the basics that you have to do every day are covered. All right. So let me go back when we talked about an adoption subsidy. A question that we have received is, can you use your adoption subsidy for anything? And an example that they were asking for was specifically they wanted to do some work on their house to make room for the, to create a playroom for the kids. Is that, can, are you limited on how you can use the adoption subsidy? So there's no strings attached. The adoption subsidy is for you to provide the best family and life that you can for that child. So, and I, a lot of times, like you may adopt a three-year-old and you may not need, feel like you need that money right then and there, but a few years down the road and, you know, they get a diagnosis that you didn't know about or they need some therapy. That's really what that funding helps fill the gap and recognizes that there could be things that come up along the way. So definitely making room for them and giving them a good home environment is a great thing. You know, I've talked to some who just save it to help pay for college or other expenses because, you know, they certainly were never going to plan on having five or six kids. And so now they have that many and recognize more of a challenge it is to help a child go to college than just having two kids. So there's all sorts of things that uh, people can think about ways to make the, the best and the most use of it. So is there a negotiation for the amount of the subsidy? Yes. So there's some states, it's just a base amount. This is it. Sometimes you can ask for more. Sometimes, you know, you kind of go back and forth and you talk about what their needs are and those kinds of things. And that's definitely where I would tell you to go back to NACAC again, because they've got some great resources there on how to do some of those things. And, you know, a question that often comes up, and I'm thinking in terms of prenatal exposure now, you uh, have reason to believe or you actually know that your child was exposed prenatally to alcohol or drugs. And your child's two, three, and right now you don't see any need, but you also know from reading the research or taking one of our courses that talks about the short and long-term impacts of prenatal exposure. You know that there is 
a fair chance that the child may have some learning disabilities, may have some higher level thinking issues, may have some problems with school or uh, might need therapy or whatever. So knowing that, but the child right now, the child that you're looking at right now that you are adopting is not expressing those needs. So how is that handled? How is the unknown, but the certainly within the realm of possibility issues handled when negotiating for a subsidy? Yeah, I think those are important things to talk about, you know, and be part of that negotiation process, that those things may be factors that come into play. And I do know that if you have some pretty extensive things come up, you can go back to the state and ask to reopen that and renegotiate at some times because sometimes families get into some really big struggles and can almost feel to the point where we're going to have to put the child back into foster care because we aren't getting enough support. We're really struggling. And so at times I think those things get opened back up so that they can have conversations about ways that they can get more support. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is it possible to adopt a very young child or a baby from foster care? Absolutely. I think in most cases where that happens, you know, the family is a licensed foster parent and they can end up with a child coming to their home straight from the hospital. And like we said before, you know, working towards reunification efforts that ultimately fail and then adopting a child. So some people can have a child in their home from day one and adopt them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right now, at least anecdotally, I'm hearing more of that, but I think that may be reflective of the number of children who are being removed because of being born dependent upon drugs where they where it was obvious that the mother was taking drugs during pregnancy. Again, though, we caution that the goal is to help that mom heal and help that family heal so that that infant that baby can ultimately go home. So let's say that you are not the foster parent and you're wanting to adopt a child from foster care that's legally free, a child whose parental rights have already been terminated or will soon be terminated. So how do you go about transitioning a child into your home for adoption? And let's say we want to do it in the most, you know, the most child-centric way that causing the least disruption to the child. So I think this is a super important question, and there's probably not enough research and practice on this, but children are just like the rest of us. They need time to switch gears and prepare themselves for what lies ahead. I mean, we'd all be up in arms if one night we were told tomorrow we'd meet our new husband or wife and move in with them. So children and prospective adoptive parents should be given ample time to get to know each other and start to build a connection before we just move a child into the home. So now given the nature of foster care, that's not always possible, but it's definitely something that should be strived for. So, you know, multiple meetings, testing an overnight, working up to a weekend, you know, before we ultimately do the move in completely for the child. And then recognizing that the people who've been a part of the child's life before are important. They've been important people and, you know, should be able to stay in contact if that's what's wanted. And, you know, wherever possible, if it's safe, connections to biological families maintained. Let's talk a little about that because that's an area that's very frightening for some people looking at adopting from foster care. They assume that there will be no contact with birth parents 
are with extended family members, birth grandparents or whatever. And yet there is still a push or an encouragement, depending on safety, of course, to maintain some level of contact. How often do you see families being asked after adoption to support some level of contact with either birth parents, birth siblings, or uh, birth grandparents or extended family? I think it really varies. And I think that you're right. There's a lot of people who have a lot of misgivings around that and are very hesitant to form those things. But having done this for 18 years, I see always, almost always, when an adopted person gets to a certain age, they have questions about who they are, where they came from, why certain things happened. And I really believe that it's their right to have the answers of their own story. And so, you know, if we can maintain some level of contact, it doesn't have to be face-to-face. It can be addresses. You know, you can get a P.O. box for safety reasons. You can get a special phone that they can call. You know, whatever you can do to provide a link so that when they're ready and when they want those answers, they can find them. I really think that's huge. Yeah, I do too. And I think that sometimes what's necessary is to think out of the box. It could be adult-to-adult contact being, as you point out, via email and with a, a separate account, a different account, where what you're doing is preserving the avenue so that if it is important to your child, and it very well may be important just to get answers, even if the, if the questions are more about their siblings or about family health history. Just having information is so powerful. So keeping the avenues open, even if it's adult adult and not involving the child or looking for someone if the birth parents, for whatever reason, either their choice or their disability or whatever, are not involved, looking for someone else in the family who might be able to be involved to help at that point. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be sometimes, you know, or, or opening up a closed Facebook group, uh, not, yeah, where it's just for uh, birth family members where you can share pictures. It doesn't necessarily have to mean uh, face-to-face meetings. It might. But also, you know, birth siblings, if they have been are either still in the system or adopted. That's another form of contact that that really might be really important to that child, sometimes more important than actually contact with birth parents. Siblings play such an important role, and sometimes siblings have played the role as of parent in that family. For sure. Those are extremely important lifelong bonds that we shouldn't disregard and or take lightly. I, whatever we can do to try to maintain those things for our kids, I think is really important. Uh, We have a course that I particularly like. It's how to do open adoption in difficult birth family situations. And we talk about just exactly this. If a birth parent is still suffering with addiction, if a birth parent is simply unreliable, or if a birth parent is dangerous and you don't want your child necessarily or in jail or whatever, What are some ways that you can maintain something for your child if it becomes important to him or her when they are adults? All right, so let's just kind of, if somebody is interested in adopting from foster care, what are some of the first things you would tell them to do? 
I think I would tell them to do some research. I think what we have now is just a great body of work that exists that you can read about the experiences of adoptees. I think that's critical to learn about what their experiences are. So just do research, just spend a day Googling and just reading everything you can about adoption. Reach out to your local county and take a class. Consider going, starting licensing and exploring that more and seeing what all may be involved. And so those are, are, you know, the first steps people should do is just get educated before they walk down that road. And if you're trying to decide whether to go with a private agency or a public agency, the easiest way you can go to the Child Information Gateway, and that's one way to do it. And if you type in the name of your state, you'll find out who your state agency is. Or you can just use whatever your search engine is, Google, Safari, whatever, Firefox, type in the name of your state type in foster care agency, and it will take you, one of the results will take you to your state agency. And if you go there, you will be able, and every state I know of, they have listed somewhere on that site, whether or not they will, whether they allow private, they have contracts with private agencies. Usually it's by county or sometimes it's by state, and you can find out the names of those agencies. So then go to Set up an appointment to talk with both your county agency, county foster care agency, again, goes by different names, Child and Family Services, Department of Social Services, Children and Family Services, goes by different names, but just type in your county and social and foster care and it will pop up. And schedule an appointment with a private agency that places children for foster care for adoption in your county. And just go to schedule two appointments and start getting information from both of them. And and your points were all taken too. Do some research ahead of time. We have a lot. Uh, well, fostering families today would be a great thing that they should. Any family who's considering should. Uh, so, how would they get information about getting uh, fostering families today? Yeah, you can check out our website at fosteringfamiliestoday.com. And you can find information on there about how to subscribe, uh, some of our back issues, our special issues that we do. We have one that focuses entirely Mm -hmm. on developmental trauma. It's called Healing Matters. We're getting ready to do our second issue of that one that'll be out in October. Excellent. Uh, Great, great resources. Creating a Family also has a number of courses as well as free resources. We have an entire section on foster care. You can go and just play around on that section, creatingafamily.org, or you can look through. We have a foster ed courses for uh, uh, lots of different courses in there, and you can take some different courses that will also educate you. And the more educated you get, the better feel you're going to get as to the type of child and uh, that your family is best able to parent and as well as whether or not this is the right path for you. So get educated. Yeah, that's always my, that's always my suggestion. Let me pause to remind people that this show is brought to you by the generous support of our partners who believe in our mission of providing unbiased, accurate information 
both pre and post adoption and fostering. Some of our partners are Children's Connection. They're an adoption agency providing services for domestic infant adoption, embryo donation, and adoption throughout the U.S., as well as they do home studies and post-adoption support to families in Texas. We also have Vista Del Mar. They are a licensed nonprofit adoption agency with over 65 years of experience helping to create families. They offer home study only services as well as full service infant adoption, international adoption, and foster to adopt programs. And you can get more information about them on their website as well. Well, Kim, thank you so much for talking with us today. This is uh, as I say, it's such a it's such an important topic, <laughs> and there's so many. I think there's a lot of misinformation. So I I really appreciate uh, Kim Fagan Hansel. She is the managing editor of the Chronicles of Social Change, as well as the editor of Fostering Families Today. Let me remind you that the views expressed in this show are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the position of creating a family, our partners, or our underwriters. And keep in mind that this information is general advice. To understand how it applies to your specific situation, you need to work with your adoption or foster care professional. Thank you so much for being with us. We will see you next week. 